This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Intel renews debate on Moore's Law. And UK builds out supercomputing centers. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. Michael, This Week in HPC, and we've been talking about this Moore's Law debate. People talk about Moore's Law is dead. There's no continuation of Moore's Law. Intel was getting a little sick of that. This week in HPC, they had a special event in San Francisco where they're saying, hang on, not so fast. Moore's Law is doing just fine. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, they've pushed back. Uh, Intel's pushed back on this for a while now, but it seems like in the past six months, there's been a lot of uh, talk in the popular press and the IT press about really the death of Moore's Law, which is which is not quite accurate. It's 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 not dead, but it's it's having its problems. So Intel got the idea that it really needed to do something, I guess, and it it made this whole day uh, open to the to the press and analyst community about what it's doing in its uh, semiconductor manufacturing area and and why it thinks Moore's Law still has a lot of life in it and even more importantly to some of their customers and investors, why they're ahead of the curve compared to some of their uh, their rivals in this, in this field like Samsung and TSMC and Global Foundries who are, who are claiming they're actually catching up in the process technology as the transistor shrinkage uh, industry sort of slows. So it had a couple of goals to do this, but I think it was feeling a lot of pressure from a couple of different quarters. But a lot of this was just about Moore's Law and the, and the fact that people were just – you know, saying like he said that it was that it's dead, and and Intel is going to suffer accordingly because of that. Yeah, I think a lot of this stems from how people used to interpret Moore's law, which has always been about the density of transistors on a chip. But we went through a long era of Moore's law advancement translating to faster clock speeds on processors. And you'd watch right. the, the megahertz, the gigahertz start piling up. Chips got faster, faster. Then we got to a point where the extra transistors on a chip didn't mean that the clock was going faster so much as it meant that we could put more cores onto a chip. And at that point, people saw the speeds flattening out and said, aha, Moore's Law is dead. But you know, we were seeing increased density and increased computational power in other ways. So how did Intel do, Michael, in your estimation, in demonstrating that uh, Moore's Law is, is alive and kicking? Well, I mean, it, it, it did a certain amount of, uh, I think, some valid analysis there. I mean, the, the problem is they sort of had to to recast Moore's Law in a somewhat different way. I mean, the sort of the classical uh, interpretation or the, or the way Moore's Law has been perceived is, is basically a, a statement of uh, the increase in transistor density and the lowering of costs associated with that every, every couple of years when it was first actually uh, – proposed it was actually every year and then in the in the mid 1970s that changed to every two years we would get this doubling and that worked in a, from 1975 basically to 2015 almost um, but now that seems to be slowing down that that 2x increase every two years is not happening starting with the 14 nanometer node for Intel the their next node is not going to be for another uh, three and a half years beyond that. So they're not getting that two-year cadence anymore. Uh, what Intel is basically saying, though, they're they're not talking about the two-year 2x uh, cadence anymore. They're talking 
in a in a different manner. They're actually improving the transistor density between process node generations greater than 2x, even if those process node transitions lengthen out. So they're saying they're still on basically the same path, but they're actually doing this thing called hyperscaling, which is actually doing better than 2x, just at greater intervals. So in that sense, they've recast Moore's Law in a, in a different way. They're not tied to the time periods anymore. Um, but the, the the other problem with that is they're not quite meeting even the the, the long term goal of that two x two year cadence because uh, basically the last time from fourteen nanometers to ten nanometers, which will happen at the end of this year, they've only increased transistor density two point seven x, which isn't quite as good as increasing it two x every two years. So uh, in a sense, they're fudging some of the data and 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 trying to say uh, long term we're doing okay, uh, but actually there's really no way around that. Actually, the the transistor sh- shrinking is is slowing down. You know, and I've I'm of a couple minds about this. First of all, we've all got to calm down about Moore's law, which was never really voted on in Congress or anything. It's <laughs> right. not a real law and nor is it even really a scientific principle it's practically no. an aphorism that came into the common vernacular to explain how computers keep getting faster so here intel is trying to to avoid the damage getting done by people saying well moore's law is dead and therefore intel's falling off by saying look it's not dead and we're still doing faster and faster processors really to me i think first of all they have a point that the processors are still continuing to get better. But, you know, to entrench the whole thing in the extension of the Moore's Law debate, now I think you're arguing about the wrong thing. Uh, You know, whether or not you want to interpret Moore's Law to encompass what are the next generation improvements in process technology that deliver us greater, more powerful uh, compute processors, compute nodes, I think is almost beyond the point. The, 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 The point that Intel should be making is that processor development is ongoing and they can stake a pretty good claim to the fact that they're still leading the way. Yeah, I mean, I I would sort of agree with that, but what I wouldn't agree with is the fact that that's not what Intel's saying. They're trying to keep the Moore's Law branding to themselves in the company. It's sort of an economic statement for the company, and customers and investors um, sort of glom onto that as a sort of a differentiator for Intel. And if if that's no longer working, those investors and customers are going to get a little wobbly, and I think that's sort of the impetus behind this this event by Intel. They they want to keep Moore's Law. I mean, they could have said something similar to what you said and said, you know, Moore's Law is just, just a statement, sort of a guidance of what we're doing. What we're actually doing, though, is increasing processor capability from, from generation to generation, and we're ahead of the curve, and we'll continue to be ahead of the curve, and here's why. But by trying to sort of recast Moore's Law in a, in a, in a somewhat, you know, 2015 sort of 2016 way and saying we're still doing the same thing, I think is, is, is stretching the truth a little bit. They're actually, I have a lot of, um, uh, I, I, I think what Intel's doing is, is basically doing okay. They're saying the right things, but they're doing it in sort of statistically sort of disingenuous way saying that everything's okay. It's everything's as is, as it was before, which is not the case. There's other challenges that is are widely uh, 
are widely seen in the community. And it's it's also widely known that by the time we get down to seven nanometers and five nanometers, that's probably the end of line, the end of the line for uh, traditional transistor shrinking using silicon CMOS technology. They they don't talk about it like that, and I think they're just trying to sort of you know reassure those customers and investors that that things are just going along as normal when actually there's there's other challenges that they're having to deal with that they're not going to be talking about. Well, I mean, look, first of all, people have been calling for an end of CMOS and how small these can shrink for a long time. Now, fundamentally, eventually you're going to get to what's the width of an atom and you're going to have to make a, right. a wire any smaller than that. But they keep knocking down problems and solving them. And, uh, you know, as for Moore's Law, I, I get it. That's the allure of trying to, them trying to make this statement is they're sick of getting beat up around this statement of Moore's Law being dead. And then people yep. think associate that with with you know Intel falling away and where Intel is really leading the way in process technology has all these great innovations and you know rather than saying yeah but Moore's law doesn't matter they're trying to say yeah but Moore's law really is here and it's not Moore's law that matters here it's the process innovation and I think that Intel did do a good job proving its point there yeah as far as uh, having superior process, uh, manufacturing process technology, I, I think they've got a, a very good case to make there compared to some of their rivals. They've also got a good case to make on other technologies that have nothing to do with Moore's Law, just on systems engineering and uh, sort of the 3D stacking of, of uh, computers and, and even the way they're, they're advancing in certain other areas of quantum computing and neuromorphic computing and all that stuff. Um, but that doesn't quite uh, get to the uh, customers and, and investors the way this does. So, this this was a move to sort of shore up that that segment of of their value. And I think they, you know, they did a somewhat questionable job of it because they had to sort of reframe uh, some of this in a in a in a light that's that's not completely 100% honest. But um, Intel, I think, is going to be, uh, you know, the leading semiconductor manufacturer for the near term and even though its rivals are actually catching up they're still basically a node behind when you do the actual measurements i mean everybody you know, are is claiming that they're there are 10 nanometers or or 12 nanometers or 14 nanometers but actually the measurements are such that uh, intel still has the best transistor density and the best capability and probably the lowest cost per transistor at this point just because their manufacturing technology is better but uh, the, the rivals are catching up, and, and as the transistor shrinking gets more difficult and slows down, I think we'll see that gap uh, narrow further. But at this point, uh, Intel's got a, a pretty good story to tell. It just, uh, I think it maybe needs to tell a little bit more, more honestly and uh, you know, tell the real story of why it's, it's, it's still a, the number one uh, manufacturer out there. Our listeners can read about your article on uh, Intel's pep rally for Moore's Law on top500.org. Meanwhile, also this week in HPC, this story really interests me, Michael. The U.K. has 20 million pounds. That's about $25 million to launch six new what they're calling Tier 2 supercomputing sites across the U.K. This is under the Engineering and Physical Sciences Research Council, EPSRC, to do these six different sites. Um, and that's, uh, you know, in addition to 
what they've got the Archer supercomputer at the UK National Supercomputing uh, Center. This will, will deploy a lot more of these tier two systems around the UK. Yeah, I mean, I think that's actually really good value. I mean, it's it's 20 million pounds, like you said, it's a, it's a little over $20 million. And, and they're starting up six pretty interesting tier two supercomputers with that money. Uh, that's, that's a pretty good, uh, I think, return on investment, especially some of these computers are going to be somewhat unique. I mean, we should talk about the uh, uh, one of them that I think we've talked about before, the uh, Isambard. Isambard supercomputer. That's going to be an ARM-based system, The basically the first, the world's first uh, ARM-based HPC system of any size. It's going to be built by Cray um, and use what was what was now going to be, uh, owned, it's owned by Cavium, but it was Broadcom's Vulcan processor, uh, who which I, which the IP was sold to Cavium just a while back, that's going to be a very interesting system, and it's going to be shared by a number of institutions, including the University of Bristol, the uh, uh, the Met Office, and a couple of other universities. Um, there's going to be a lot of interest in seeing the codes being ported to that system, how well they perform on on a large scale ARM based supercomputer. Um, so that's a very interesting system, and it only costs them three million pounds. So it's not a huge system, but it's it's big enough to show uh, how some of these codes uh, will will scale on a, on a system of, of medium size. And the other interesting system is the Jade system, which is basically a GPU uh, powered system. It's going to have the NVIDIA Tesla P100 GPUs in it, and it's going to end up being the largest GPU facility in the United Kingdom. It's not a Huge system in itself. It's just another, again, another three million pound system, but it's going to be uh, very dense with GPUs. I think each server is going to have eight of them, and it's going to uh, emphasize machine learning types of applications as as well as some medical imaging and uh, and molecular dynamics. But that'll be a very interesting system for UK researchers as well. I think it's going to be uh, again interesting to see the codes that are able to get ported to a very GPU dense system. Yeah, you're right. These are are some interesting systems out there. I agree with you that Isambard system uh, through uh, GW4 is the most interesting. That's the the Great Western Four Alliance, which uh, which involves four major Western UK universities, and the systems being uh, collaborated on and housed at the Met Office, as you said. So you know, we'll see what kind of pickup we get for. Uh, end users and uh, and science for that arm based architecture other than that you mentioned the uh, the jade system which is the uh, the gpu uh, uh, configuration jade is the joint academic data science endeavor jade there's four other tier 2 systems hpc midlands plus there's one at EPCC. There's the PETA-5 system, the National Facility for Petascale Data Intensive Computing and Analytics. And there's a Tier 2 hub in Materials and Molecular Modeling. So there's a couple of different specializations there. There's obviously the, the Biosciences one. There's, a, uh, there's the, there's the uh, Big Data system. What really is tying these together is the idea that the UK is investing in different types of architectures at different sites to support uh, the scientific community. And it's maybe noteworthy that this comes right on top of the beginning of the formalization of, uh, of Brexit, where UK is now uh, 
able to show here's how we're going to be handling scientific computing, uh, maybe without as much reliance on EU consortia. Right. I mean, EU or UK was involved in uh, in the price infrastructure, which is being run by the EU. So having these tier two systems available will mean it's less reliant on those, but also the researchers will also be less reliant on the Archer tier one service that's available in the UK. So it's going to offload uh, a, a lot of that demand as well, which is uh, which I think is going to be very useful and sort of expand the, the amount of work that can be done by researchers. We, we should also say that it's not just academic researchers here. They're also going to make this available to uh, to industrial users, commercial users. Good now, point. presumably, that, that'll probably involve some sort of either monetary compensation or maybe sharing of intellectual property or some other arrangement. But one of the big goals here is to make, make this available to, uh, to commercial customers as well. Yeah, and that's in particular with the one at EPCC, the Edinburgh Parallel Computing Center. That's in an industry HPC system called Cirrus, which is an SGI uh, ICE XA system, a 56-node system, and that's specifically for these kinds of industrial partnerships to uh, to reach out to that community, help get them to scale their codes. Yeah, and I, I think in, in general, um, I think you're right about, you know, making the UK HPC infrastructure more independent of Europe. Now, some of these things have probably been in the works for a while. Yeah, I agree. Um, this, this, this didn't happen yesterday, but certainly, uh, you know, if you're going to have a national HPC infrastructure, you, you can't depend all on tier one systems or in a sort of a, a chaotic medley of other tier two systems that are, that are being associated by, you know, individual universities. So this is, a, I, th- I think, is a good step forward for the for the country to sort of have a a more nationalized tier two infrastructure that's going to be very useful for a large number of researchers and uh, hopefully commercial users as well. A couple more interesting stories, Michael. I appreciate it. We'll be back next week as well. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.